So the internet defines ghosting as the practice of suddenly ending all communication and avoiding contact with another person without any apparent warning or explanation. This may or may not include the practice of, you know, recording a podcast episode and then never publishing it. It may also include, you know, just stopping a season mid-conversation. It may also include (laughs) said ghoster opening a nonprofit and losing track of time and working a million different jobs. And not that said ghoster is making an excuse for said ghosting, but she totally is. So I am back and I am so excited to share the conversation that I had with Katrina, I think five months ago, (laughs) y'all, I am not proud of this, but I adore this conversation and I am so glad that we, as in we, I mean me, finally got my act together. I'm finally back on the podcasting microphone and I'm just so excited for you guys to listen in on the heartfelt connection, dare I say heartfelt connection that I think Katrina and I formed. And then I ghosted her. I I'm sorry, Katrina. I love you. And I can't wait to hang out with you one day when I like go to Canada or you come here to the hideaway. So without further ado, I think all of you will get so much out of this conversation because it's just so relatable in so many different ways. This is the ghoster, Susan, and um, let's do this. Hi, I'm Susan, and this is When Autumn Comes. You know, sometimes life just looks a little different than we thought it would. This is a podcast for the mamas and dadas and caregivers And the people who love them, of course, whose lives were flipped upside down as a doctor looked into her eyes and explained our child's prognosis. It's a place for the caregivers who get very little sleep as they face symptoms and behaviors that just aren't typical for other children. This is a place where we can take on this journey together because we know that this can be a sad, lonely, misunderstood path. But we also know that as the darker days and colder temperatures begin to appear, so do the golden leaves and beautiful sunsets of autumn. We know that life comes in seasons. We know that in our world, 24 hours can hold so much change that it can feel like four seasons in one day. We're here to help you share your story, let you laugh and let you cry, help you learn and help you grow together with other mothers when autumn comes. The When Autumn Comes podcast is a program of the Apricity Hope Project, a nonprofit organization created to empower, encourage, and restore caregivers of medically complex and disabled children. You can learn more about our project and help support this podcast by visiting www.apricityhope.org slash autumn. Welcome back to When Autumn Comes. I am here with a guest, an international, you might be our first international guest. No, no, there was the medium, Jenny. She was on the show. She is from Canada also. She actually lives, I think, right near you. We should connect. You guys should be friends. Anyway, we have Katrina here. And do you want to introduce yourself and like tell us a little bit about your family and why you're here and how I sucked you into this? (laughs) Sure. Well, I'm really excited. I've been looking forward to this. My name's Katrina. I'm a mom to three kiddos. Um, I have two teenagers who are typical, and my youngest daughter, Ellie, is nine. And 
She has some medical complexities, you could say, some challenges. So we connected. How did we actually connect? Ever Was it the podcast? Yeah, I think I found the podcast right around when Lorelai passed away. Okay. And started listening and then just kind of started reaching out that way. And that's kind of how we connected. And we like somehow became, I mean, I'd call you a friend. I would hang out with you if you weren't 12 hours away. So Ellie has mitochondrial disease. And so that was one of the things that kind of drew us Mm -hmm. together. And um, in this rare world, before we hit record off air, we were just like going on and on about how our kids' energy levels are and all these things. And and you made the comment like, I'm so glad you get this because it's so tough being a rare disease parent and not like, I mean, you can have a conversation with your best friend about her kids too. And if they're typical, it's like, oh yeah, your kids are tired today. I'm sorry. Mine are super tired. So it's just, it's so cool to be able to connect with someone who gets it. Yeah. I'm from New Brunswick, Canada. And it's just small. Like, I've never met any other family with mitochondrial disease. Mm-hmm. So I've kind of tried to find people online and try to find people with similar diagnosis. But it's it's been really challenging. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And does she have Lee's dis- Was it What kind of mito does she have? She has Milas. Okay. I couldn't remember. Yeah. So... She has two teenage brothers? Uh, teenage sister and a teenage brother. Okay. Yeah. Does she cause trouble? Do they all play well together? What are the family dynamics like? It's interesting because there's a big gap. She is wild. So a lot of our life is around trying to manage and keep Ellie safe and then trying to do what teenagers want to do. But they love her. She loves to like climb on them and play with them and we have like an in-ground pool. She's obsessed with water. Like water is her favorite thing. Water and probably music, I should say. Mm-hmm. Her brother's a drummer, so she loves when he drums. She's always dancing. And then her sister, she's usually just wanting to snuggle her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And for those who are listening that know my kids, Ellie can get around. Like I've seen this girl, she can cut a rug and she can get through the house. Yeah. Like no other, like I, it's amazed me. Yeah, it's it's awesome and it's very challenging. <laughs> I imagine a little terrifying with the pool too. Yeah, and she's she's quite developmentally delayed, so she has no sense of danger at all. So our house is gated insanely. There is gates and doors on everything. The pool is like so locked down and she's wild, so I can't have lamps or plants. Or my artwork is bolted to my walls like they do in hotels because she will rip them right off the walls. So I get rugs and pillows to decorate my house. But that's that's all I can handle. (laughs) Things that we never thought about, right? Mm -hmm. Like she's a she's a toddler in a 10 year old body. So Mm -hmm. it's even my fireplace, which is nice and high. She can now reach. So it's just. Oh, goodness. Yeah. I am a minimalist in some ways, but you come to my house and you'd really be like, wow, you're just like so minimal. It's not my choice. (laughs) You and I both have done our fair share of time in patient with our kiddos. Mm -hmm. We kind of started having a conversation about having this conversation shortly after Benji was in the hospital for first he was in for an endoscopy. We had to be sedated and put in because he can't fast. We went in 24 hours early. 
Um, that was my first admission with a child since Lorelai's last admission, and she did pass in the hospital. So it was my first overnight since I lost my kid and super traumatic. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Still talking about that one in therapy. And then after that, he had a sleep study that we literally got kicked out of. And I think that that's when I had posted something on Facebook, like, how do people feel as a caregiver when your kid is in the hospital, like before, during and after? And you and I kind of talked a little bit and it was like, this is stuff that no one tells you when you become a medical mom, like your emotions are going to be sky high and in very different ways. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about first, I want to give a shout out to your girl who has reached a very big milestone. You want to share that one? She has. So we recently just hit six months without an admission. So she's had her port flushed three times, which means we hit the six-month mark, which is pretty, pretty remarkable for us. We're typically in every three to four months. Like her whole life, it's been like that? She actually wasn't diagnosed until she was just about six. Like we went almost five years without a diagnosis. So... For the first, you know, six years of her life, we experienced a lot of the same things. But when I would say to the doctors, you know, she got sick and now she can't walk, they had that made no sense to anyone. So we really didn't have like there was no going in the hospital because nobody knew anything to do. So right before she was diagnosed, she had had what I know now to be a stroke like episode. We didn't know at the time. Um, We thought it was just seizures. And that was our first like big emergent admission. Before that, we had done like the ketogenic diet for seizures, but that was our first big one. And then she was diagnosed shortly after. And then that started kind of once we knew how kind of how fragile she was, mm-hmm. then the admission started. So it's been since she was about six and she's almost okay. 10 now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so every three to four months for the last five years-ish. Yeah. And that's, yeah. So- when I feel a hospital stay brewing. Mm-hmm. Like with Lorelai, a lot like Ellie, it was not planned. It was when it happened, it happened. The the three times, I guess I can say, because Benji did his NICU stay, we knew it was coming. It's very different being prepared for the NICU as opposed to being thrown out of the airplane and landing in the NICU. So he did the NICU for 26 days. He has had two small overnight admissions, which if you are not a medical mom who had already been through what I had been through, that would have been very tough. And it was very tough for different. It was more tough for me emotionally than it was for Benji. Yeah. But with Lorelai and not knowing when the next admission was going to come, I was always kind of on eggshells and like waiting for it to happen. Is that how do you feel? You know, I mean, now that especially you've been six months, are you waiting for it to happen or where are you with that it's it is exactly that it's like you're always on edge I usually I'd like joke that I can like smell it coming it's like I can't tell you what it is but I can look Mm. at her and be like "Uh oh I can't tell you I can't say it's this one thing but I just know it's coming but yeah it's it's really hard even now to settle in to my life because I know at any point the rug can be pulled back out and we're mm-hmm. back in it. So it's like you mm-hmm. start to get comfortable, but you want to just like, you know that your life could change at any second. So don't, yeah. just don't be too comfortable. Just be ready to go. 
it's challenging. Yeah. And, and like, you never feel settled. Mm -mm. Like, I mean, I'm sure you feel more settled now. You look, when we first talked via, you helped me out with something like a year ago. Yeah. And we chatted, and I mean this in the nicest way because people say to me all the time, but you look so much more rested right now than you did a year ago when you were going through so much with her. And I mean, it's amazing what six months at home will do for somebody. I mean, it also could have been a bad day that I caught you on, but you look, considering you're recording in like a cave right now, you look great. (laughs) Well, thank you. But yes, I, I really have like, even just the past like month or two, it's like I now have had space to be like, what does self-care actually look like when I'm not in crisis? I have time to wash my face at the end of day and like put on lotion or go for a walk. And it was just things that just they weren't a priority when we Mm -hmm. were in and out of that and in and out. So now I'm like, okay, maybe it's safe. Yeah. Like I this isn't what we were going to talk about, but I know like you and your husband like make a priority of like going on dates and stuff now. Like, did you do that when she's in and out of the hospital? Like how? How would you have time? No. And even now, like Honestly, dates are challenging. Trying to find people who can care for Ellie is quite challenging. Mm. And then just kind of being able to make it work. But in that, oh my gosh, no. There was mm. there was no dates. We were like passing ships. Like yeah. the reality is, is like I'd be in the hospital, he'd be at home. And if we switched off so I could come home and shower. But we have two other kids at home. So it's like, mm-hmm. and then once we get out, it's a whole, like you're not okay when you get yeah. out. It's just yeah. a whole nother thing. So there was like dates weren't even a thought. We were in okay. survival, pure survival. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we still are. We've been in survival for seven years mm-hmm. here. And I would say maybe like six months ago, mm-hmm. we could have gone somewhere together, like a mini trip or mm-hmm. something like that. I mean, we could go to dinner, you know, things like that. We just don't. But Benji is now at a point where he is... We're meeting with palliative care on Thursday to readjust his meds. So like, it's just, we're at a weird place of grief and trauma and survival. And yeah, passing ships is a really, like, we both live by the ocean and they pass each other. And like, you're like, okay, peace out, buddy. Like, you go that way. I'm going this way. Mm -hmm. So when you're in the hospital... How do your emotion, like, how do you function? Because I know Mike and I function very differently from each other. So as a mom, I'm curious if you kind of function the same way that I do. Emotionally, I'm fantastic when we're in the hospital. (laughs) It's like, it sounds awful, but I, it's like, I know what to do. Everything else is put aside. And it's just, it's just so, I just know I've gotten really used to it to the point that I've had to really work in therapy of how to be when I'm not in crisis because my body got used to crisis. So as Mm -hmm. soon as it stopped, that's when I would panic, not when I was in it. Because when you're in it, there's no, in my mind, there's no choice. Like Ellie is my focus and that's it. Like, it's like, oh, like I might have the rare time that I fall apart, but it's so rare because you're just in it. Like whether you're counting seizures or dealing with, you know, line infections. Like there's just, there's so much. 
that's how I am when I'm in the hospital. I just kind of go into a mode and I just do what needs to be done and everything else gets put aside. Is your husband the same way? Um, no. Yeah. Now he he struggles more. Like I feel like in a way I can disconnect from what's happening to do what I need to do. Whereas he struggles to do that. He can be really like upset really easily seeing things happen. Like even the first time we've seen her have like a tonic clonic seizure, they were so bad and so traumatic to watch. But I remember he saw one and he's like, I, that was the worst. Like that mm. was so bad. I was like, that was nothing like compared to what I had seen. But that's more his mode. He's great and he does what needs to be done, but he can get, he can just get triggered a lot easier. I also think it like, kind of balances you guys out like Mm -hmm. with Mike and I like we balance out very well I'm like you in the hospital I'm in like my work mode Mm -hmm. I am in medical mom mode I am like if they would give me a clipboard and a stethoscope I would be like telling them all what to do in round I mean I tell them all what to do in rounds anyway but Mm -hmm. like they've never officially given me any sort of clipboard or you know they can't give me that kind of power so I just am in like my work mode we make this better mode at least that's how I was with Lorelai. Uh, with Benji, the couple times that we've been in have been incredibly traumatic for me because it's just triggering. Mm-hmm. But Michael has said that like when he's in the hospital, he feels almost out of control because everybody else is doing all the things. And then when we get home, he feels like he can breathe and he feels like everything's back in its place where it's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And then I get home And I like spiral every time. Like I almost have to like come off of the high that I was at from work, working, quote unquote, Mm -hmm. while in the hospital. And then I come home and I'm like, what am I doing? (laughs) I feel all this so much. Like, yes, all of it. It's just, yeah, it's like you get home and I've tried to explain to people, we have a great support system that like, everybody's like, are you eating? Have you drinking water? Have you like when I'm in there? And I'm like, no, no, like when I really need people is when I'm home because I literally like, I just, the adrenaline leaves and you're just like, I'm just done. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure there is some psychology term for, I mean, it is not even just adrenaline leaves. It is like, you're on this high cliff and then you just drop Mm -hmm. beyond like and I feel like I'm very visual they can't see my hands moving all over the place but I feel like I drop well below my normal baseline like it's you know it's well below and then it's not just I have dropped down and I'm struggling to function it's I've struggling to function but I also have to take care of this kid who is medically complex and isn't at her or his baseline Mm -hmm. because they just left the hospital. And after a normal person leaves the hospital, that doesn't mean that they're great. Mm -hmm. And then when our kids leave the hospital, that just means they're like at an okay level to go home. Yeah. And they still require a lot of care. And yeah, I'm with you. It's, 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 yeah. It's a very hard transition. Our last admission was a really hard one. It was one of the ones that just went, we were in, we were out, we were in, we were out. Just couldn't get her stable. And we left with 
a little girl who could no longer walk, could hardly sit up on her own. We had to have everyone to come in to get new equipment because we had a child who was able to do everything and came home with one who couldn't. Like she couldn't sit up independently and we had nothing in place for that. And, you know, you meet like we met with the palliative team and you have really, really hard conversations and everybody's like, so glad you're home. And it's like, yeah, like I'm glad too, but I've come home with a really sick little girl who no one knows if they're going to get any better. And as you know, life just keeps going. Like everybody's worlds keep going, even when yours stops. Like it's just life goes on and, you know, expectations are back. Like you're out of the hospital and, and you're, it's just, it's the hardest. Back to work, back to life, back to all the things. And meanwhile, we are like struggling to brush our teeth. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, you know, I mean, I just, there are days where I'm like, did I brush my, like, take care of yourself kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But I put everything towards my children and not towards me. So my bucket at that point is completely empty. When we came home from her crash in Florida, that one, I will say, like, she went semi-viral on Facebook. Like, no big deal. But that crash, like, this wasn't what we were going to talk about, but I told you this was just going to be a conversation and we were going to record it. So, but that crash very much like social media, people picked it up because it was bad. Yeah. Like it went viral because it was so freaking bad. And our exterior community, not the close knit medical moms, but like outside of that who love us and then outside of them, because our our closed community shares it and the people beyond that they thrive on bad news. Yeah. Like people people thrive on bad news. And so when they hear you got out like all of the well wishes and all of the things like my close group provided us meals for about a month which mm-hmm. was very kind because we were 12 hours from home and when we got home I still had Christmas decorations up and it was February. Because we didn't plan on being fun. Right. But then it just stops and you're back to where you were. And with us, after that, it became so frequent that we were in the hospital that I almost felt like I was burdening my friends and my family because they were probably like, oh, well, there she goes again. Lorelai's back in the hospital. Like, almost like I was crying wolf or something. Does that resonate with you at all yeah i get it totally i'm just it's like is there going to be a point where people are just tired of it that they're just like you know we've done our part and it's you know that there's no end in sight to it like the only end is horrible like that's it's like this will be our life and we have to learn how to do Mm -hmm. this repeatedly and you know six months feels amazing when it was three months like I have barely caught my breath and feel like I'm getting my feet back underneath me. Your dirty laundry is still in your suitcase. Oh, 100%. And you're in it again. And you're just like, yeah, okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's so hard. Yeah. And like you said, the, the only way it stops is when things go terribly not the way you want it. Right. And, you know, like, That last hospital stay for us, it was like every other month Laurel I was in, every three to four weeks she was being admitted, every holiday, 
And that was 4th of July for us. Mm -hmm. That was her shortest hospital stay. And it was just like, body was just so tired. And out of all of our stays, I think that like, I mean, here in America, 4th of July is a good put on red, white, and blue and go get drunk kind of day. Not my way of spending it, but hey, to each their own. And I think a lot of people just kind of were like, oh, it's a holiday Lorelai's in. Mm -hmm. And then two days later, the worst happened for us. And I didn't know what to do with myself. Like, no one knew what to do with us. And, um, yeah, like, it just, I almost felt bad that people were stepping up again mm-hmm. because it was done, quote unquote, you know, and like, here I am. But I'm, for any of your friends and family that are listening, I have another one that has Mito too. So like we are still doing all of this with Benji and he's at a point now where we're watching the autonomic storming brewing. We are watching it get worse, but he's not to the point yet of like, I can still manage it at home. And so I'm on that kind of eggshells of like, when am I going to be making the drive into the, the, I mean, we pretty much go straight to the ICU have to go through the ED, but our kids always go to the ICU. So like, when are we going to be making that drive in and what's it going to look like? And do I need to be ready? And like, am I, do I need to be hypervigilant right now for when it happens? I just, I can only imagine how hard it is that you're trying to recover and heal and do everything you need to do, but you, there's no break. Like there's no, like, it's like you're home. And you're right back in it. Just like you said, you get home and you're right back in it as far as like taking care of her and doing mm-hmm. work and doing house and having teenagers and all the things. And then with me, we're doing all the things back in taking care of the next one. And again, not what we were going to be talking about today, but managing the anticipatory grief with grief, grief, loss, mm-hmm. like the grief of a loss. It's pretty surreal and we do have episodes about anticipatory grief and stuff because i imagine that you kind of struggle with that too knowing the frequency of the hospital stays and like you know like it's so out of our control Mm -hmm. and it's like that was a term i hadn't heard until i think it was probably maybe three four years ago we went to counseling we found a counselor who had a daughter who had some medical like complexities And he brought up that term and I had never heard it before. And it was helpful because it was so hard to explain Mm -hmm. what we were feeling because it's like, well, she's right here. She's not gone. But for us, like we went, you know, five, almost six years, not thinking there was any shorten to her lifespan. Like everybody was like, no, there's no reason to think that, you know, and then in a day, it's an mm-hmm. entirely different reality and we're told it's progressive and degenerative and you know you're just grieving everything that's going to happen and everything that's not going to happen and you went from five-ish years of not being in and out of a hospital to mm-hmm. being in and out of a hospital every other month yeah like yeah and i said yeah. i kind of went from you know we thought we had a daughter that we knew she was developmentally delayed and we were planning to have her that we would take care of her her whole life And that was our reality. And that's what we were planning for. And then all of a sudden it was like, no, no, you might not get that. Like you might not get her to adulthood. 
that's very likely. And it's just a huge, it was, it was a huge Mm. shift. And I remember just being like, I just want to go back. Like, I just want to go back to, she's just not going to talk or she's just, you know, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh no, she's going to have strokes. And with each stroke, she's going to lose, you know, Mm. more and more skills until she eventually loses all of them. Like, it's Mm. just a cruel, it's just not, it's not what any of us. It's not awful disease. Oh, it's, it's horrible. It's not what anybody should go through. Yeah. So do you, do you talk to your friends and family about the reality of her disease? Like, how do you feel talking to people about this? It's challenging because quite often I feel like it makes people uncomfortable and then I'm having to like care for them. And how do I like, you know, and I, there's even times that I feel like I'm being dramatic. Like if I say it, I'm like, oh, I'm just like, you know, don't blow it out of proportion. Like she's fine right now. Sometimes I'm like, did I just make this up? Like, like, is this for real? Like, am I, am I just making this up Mm -hmm. here? And maybe it's not as bad. Like maybe she, maybe it's just not as bad as I'm thinking. Oh no. Oh no, it is. Well, and for us, it's like, so if you met Ellie today, like Ellie is like running, jumping, climbing, doing all the things. And so when people meet her and we're kind of telling her, telling them about her and what can happen, it almost like, even for me, if I didn't have videos of Mm -hmm. how bad she gets, it's like, I wouldn't believe it because it just seems so like so far off from how she is. But it it happens and then people see it and they're like, like, it's shocking. It's shocking to watch her that she is perfectly fine. And then all of a sudden she no longer can walk Mm -hmm. or sit up or even like she's lost the ability to swallow like with these episodes. So I have people that I can talk to for sure. Like I have, but I do definitely choose who I'm this open with, like who, you know, because there's things that. I think in order to process it, like I need to talk about, like sometimes I need to talk about what I want her funeral to look like, like, and most people don't understand that. Like, oh, don't think that way, you know? And it's like, I know, but this is part of my needing to process Mm -hmm. in that I just, this, this helps so that I can think about these things. I can say them out loud and then I can tuck it away again and do what I need to do. But I don't need people telling me, you know, that it's not something I should be talking about. Which is crazy because I'm like, oh, tell me what you're planning for her funeral. (laughs) Only you. (laughs) Only another medical mom. What is your plans? Because Lorelai's was epic and Benji, I don't know what I'm going to do for his. Oh my gosh. Well, and it's like, you know, you want to honor them in like Mm -hmm. the best way possible. And it's like, I know that I might not be in my right mind Mm -hmm. if and when that time comes. So it just, it gives me some peace to be able to say, like, I have a friend that she's like, you can tell me these things. I will write them down. And so when the time comes, I will be there to say, remember, these are the things you said you wanted. Yeah. Rather than, yeah, it's just, I, and I don't know if it's like a control thing. Like we don't have any control over any of this. And it's like, okay, what pieces can I do and work towards or is it trying to find the joy in representing our children in a way that like before the disease gets so bad 
like it's something that we can go Lorelai would love all of the colors at her we didn't even call it a funeral we called it like a funeral party I love that we had colorful balloons everywhere I made people wear tie-dye I like I mean we did not do anything we did it at a hall that is normally for weddings that looks out onto the water and we had a snow cone machine and all the things that were her and Mm -hmm. it was important to me to find the joy that my kid brought to me and to share that with other people but yeah so let's circle back to what we were going to talk about (laughs) so when you get home we kind of started to touch on this but when you get home from a hospital stay how do you feel because you mentioned the word earlier disconnected i think in terms of how your husband was with his emotions in the hospital and when i get home mm-hmm. you know i drop down below my normal baseline i'm not in the thriving survival mode i'm in the like find a survival mode phase but i like detach from my children And I don't know why. I don't know if that is like I'm coming off of the trauma and I still have you with me. So I need to like put a wall up or I don't know if it's that like Benji had a very traumatic sleep study and he got kicked out and like it had nothing to do like medically he was still stable. It was just an awful night. Awful night. I mean, when they come in at four o'clock in the morning, they're like, we're going to ask you to leave um oh i listened to you talk about that and like i've been through them it's it's horrific and then like it's add to it that all the sensors and stickies smelled like lorelei before she died and i was like Mm -hmm. this is like awful so i got home after not sleeping i felt like i had been to war like i i'm not trying to set like like we said exaggerate like i literally felt like i was on a battlefield that night trying to keep those sensors on and trying to do all of the things and make sure he sleeps. Does he sleep enough? And then I get home. I pass my husband in the hallway. He's like, I didn't sleep either, which he didn't sleep either because of anxiety of us being in the hospital. Like, I mean, I wanted to punch him, but yeah. So then those first 24, 48 hours, I feel like my kid is a stranger to me. Like I is... Is that normal? Like, is there any normal in any of this? But like, I just feel like I don't recognize my child or myself when I get home from very traumatic times like that. I think I think it's fair. Like when you had brought that up, I don't know if I've ever had the thought like, oh, she's like a stranger to me. But it's like when I get home, I it's again, I crash. Mm-hmm. And the challenge is like quite often when we come home because it's degenerative, we're like there's new meds, there's new therapies, there's new things to do. And I'm so done. Mm-hmm. And now I'm kind of passing this along to my husband if he hasn't been the one in with her at all. And it's just, I I do disconnect for sure. Like I really hand over the reins. He steps like way in because I'm just recovering. And it's just, it just takes me a while to kind of get back to where I'm like in it as much I think because I'm just in it so deep mm-hmm. when we're in the hospital mm-hmm. and I also have other kids yeah right like I have two other kids that need me 
and they may be teenagers, but they still need you. Yeah, very. You would be surprised. Like it's like you know, I'm trying to meet their needs when I'm in the hospital, but then also when I get home. So it's kind of like I just need to kind of hand her over and mm-hmm. and just kind of go do the you know try to recover myself and then try to give my other two kids what they need. Yeah, and. As you were talking, you were saying the new meds and the new procedures. And I'm thinking, like, I wonder if that's part of the, like, you're like, because we're so into our groove when we're in, Mm -hmm. you know, at home. And then a hospital stay throws that groove completely, like, throws us completely out of sync. And I wonder if that's where I feel like the stranger vibes or Mm -hmm. if it, if it's the fickleness of this disease. Like, I don't know if I can trust. Like, I trust my kid, but I don't trust this disease. Mm-hmm. And, like, I don't want to get comfortable. Like, because I, right. I mean, I love my kid, but I don't trust this disease. And I think Diane was the one who talked about it on the show about how mitochondrial disease is almost like, and I don't mean this lightly, but it's almost like an abusive relationship. Like, you mm-hmm. get comfortable with not your kid. You get comfortable with the disease. You get comfortable with where you're at. And then all of a sudden the disease is like, F you, I'm doing this. And mm-hmm. like, you just can't trust it. And so no. I think as I'm sitting here in my therapy session with you, I feel like, love that. I feel like maybe that's part of it is that like I get home and I'm like, I just can't trust this disease. Like, I, like yeah. what's going to be next? Yeah. And it's like, for us, it's like, you kind of are like having to start again. Like, you know, yeah. it started with like one med and then two meds. And then we came home one time. It was like seven meds. We're now up to, you know, 15-ish. We're going to try overnight feeds. We're going to try. And it's mm-hmm. just like every time you come home, you have to adapt again and adapt again and adapt again. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's exhausting. Yeah. yeah. It takes a while to like, yeah, get in your groove again and get it. Like even when my daughter got her G-tube, I remember just being like, how how do people do this? Like, how do you do this? Like cleaning it and changing the gauze and like it seemed impossible and I was like I don't you know but it's scary I mean like oftentimes I do just like you did and I'm not trying to call you out here but I'm always like oh yeah that was I thought it was so hard but look at what I'm doing now but but we have to validate where we've been I mean Mm -hmm. we've done a lot of pardon my language we've done a lot of hard shit and Mm -hmm. just because just because it gets harder doesn't mean that it wasn't hard five years oh, ago, gosh. you know? Yeah. Uh. Yeah. Even with her G-tube, like in particular, like I know a lot of families go through this. It was terrifying. I spent so much time talking about it in therapy. Like I couldn't explain to them. Like I was just like, I don't get it. I'm fine with the port, but the G-tube, I just can't like. Is it because you can and see it? It's a big part mm-hmm. of it. Yeah. I'm very visual. And mm-hmm. it was very much like. I associated that with her being sick. So when she had had a stroke-like episode and was so sick, I kind of connected those two things. Mm. And so it was just, it was like, it was really hard to get that, that G2. Yeah. And we do, we're like, oh, this is like nothing. I'm so used to this. But when I wrote it out, when somebody was going to watch her and it was two pages long, what needed to be done? Like, then I see it. Then I'm like, oh, this, this is a lot, Mm. you know, like. But when it's piece by piece by piece by piece, it's like you don't really realize how much it is until you're, you know, you either like step back and go, oh, wow, that's that's a lot. Or you're trying to explain it to someone else. Mm -hmm. But no, all all of it was hard. One of the episodes we just 
aired with Jessica. She talked about after her daughter passed. So when she walked in the room after her daughter had passed, and she, I mean, her daughter was traked and had all of the equipment. And she said that was the first time that she walked in and saw it looking like an ICU. She saw it the way other people had seen it. But like you said, we are so in this that this is just our way of life. And Mm -hmm. I think circling back to the coming home from a hospital stay, it it was just our way of life and it got thrown off and now we have to recover. I wanted to ask you, you mentioned that you will pass her off to your husband. What other ways do you kind of help find yourself or recover after a hospital stay? Have you have you found any magical magical tricks that we can share with our listeners? Oh my gosh, I wish. Yeah, right? Um, <laughs> I mean, I do like, we realized a while ago that like, we kind of sat down with our kids and we said like, okay, this is a part of our life. Like we need to accept this and we can't pause our life every time we're in the hospital. Because even for my other kids, it would be really disruptive, right? Yeah. And they you know, wanting to stay up late or watch a lot of movies. And it was like, okay, guys, this is our life. We need to learn how to kind of keep going on. So in that, I like, I have freezer meals that like, when things are calm, I'm prepping food for after. And that helps some because I'm so depleted usually when I get home. And then I just like, obviously I'm in counseling. Mm -hmm. Therapy helps a ton. It does. It helps so much. It really does. I started after our really scary admission, like our really, she had had a stroke-like episode, seized for 10 days straight. I came out of that, like, could not function. Mm-hmm. Like, was like, okay, I need to do something. Started going and have continued for years now. So that's really helpful. Like, I will, you know, go to counseling, make sure that I'm going. If I can go weekly, I go weekly. And then if she's stable enough, like, I just, as hard as it is, I just try to find something that I can do that's like for me like I love to kayak and kayak is kind of like kayaking like soothes my soul Mm. and so it's like just just little things and I also I also have learned to not start big projects oh yeah oh yeah like I like we got out of the hospital from like our worst hospital stay ever and what did I do? I started ripping apart my kitchen you like hyper fixed (laughs) on something that you could demolish (laughs) So I like my people in my life. I'm like, do not let me rip apart a parent of my house. Like, I am not allowed to do that. So that helps in that I just I've learned to allow myself the time. Like, don't do it. Just take your time. It's okay to like, you know, you need to recover. Mm -hmm. That's pretty much it. Mm -hmm. So if you had to tell a new mom who we were doing this backwards here, but if you had to tell a new mom who has a medically complex kiddo that's in and out of the hospital. Any words of advice for like the waiting on eggshells for the next crash? Because you are a pretty frequent flyer there. I don't know if there's anything that can make it better. Like the reality is, is we know our kids Mm. better than anyone. And like, I try to live in the moment and I try like, obviously I'm grateful for every healthy day. And I've had that for years now because of what we've been through. But it's it's just, I don't know what you can do other than like, it's just have grace for yourself. Yeah. Like, you know, I think when I was younger and I wanted to do it all and I 
couldn't understand why when I got home from the hospital, I slept for a day and I wasn't fine over the years and like counseling help, like just learning that like you don't have to bounce back immediately. Like it's okay if you're not okay, Mm -hmm. like for a while, Mm -hmm. like not a day, not a week. Like if it's months, if it's like longer, it's fine. Like it's really, you know, I've had some admissions that are like standard admissions. You know, we go in, we do our treatment and it's like, okay, even that that's tiring. That's whatever. But when you're having really like traumatic hospital stays, Mm -hmm. That's not normal and we don't need to normalize it. But I think in it, you're trying to like, well, this is my life. Like I need to get used to it. Yeah. And to realize that like, it doesn't have to be normal. I mean, like you said, it's okay to fall apart. I wish there was like a good middle line of like being on that high in the hospital. And I hate to call it a high because it's not a positive high. It's like a- surviving high of like go 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 and then the crash like i wish there was just kind of a middle ground we need to talk to our therapists about this we'll we'll circle back maybe next week we'll circle back about what our therapists tell us but it's just i'm i'm really enjoying this conversation because it's so nice to talk to somebody who gets it like mm-hmm. my close friends that live nearby are not medical moms And they're super supportive and I love them. But it's not the same to sit there and say, this is how I feel when I come home from the hospital and to be sitting across from you right now. And you like are like, I know, I see it, I get it. Like, And I feel like it's easier. I don't know. Tell me. It's easier for me to tell you, you're doing a great job. Like, give yourself grace. Like, Mm -hmm. it's okay to not be okay. It's easier for me to tell other people that than to tell myself. So the pep talk that we just gave to each other and to all the moms out there, Mm. we got to listen to this one for ourselves at some point. We're we're rocking it. Yeah. Right, right. Rocking it, rocking it. Okay, so we wrap up all of our episodes, as you know, with one question, and that is, what gives you hope? I have thought about this question a lot. I'm glad you studied. Yes. I knew you were going to ask, so I was like, oh, I had two answers, and I was like, okay, what one am I going to get? You're going to flip a coin or... No, no. So a few years ago, there was a family I was following online and their daughter had just like a freak, freak accident. It was just, yeah, a really hard thing. And now she's, you know, got a lot of challenges. And her mom is an artist and post made or shared a piece of art that said, you'll never regret having hope. And it struck me and has become like, it's, like my Mm -hmm. motto Mm -hmm. I want to get it tattooed on my arm Uh, because I think as you go through hard things it's like hope is really scary because you think like don't hope for that because you're going to be disappointed but I've learned that like I remind myself that all the time you'll never regret having hope like I'll never regret hoping for as many years with Ellie as I you know as I can have I'll never regret hoping that I get to see her as an adult so I, I guess it's like I just choose every day to have hope because I think I won't regret it. I love that. Love it. Okay, well, thank you for being here. And I'm going to drag you into a 4 a.m. because we have plenty of things to talk about. So thanks for being here.